Don't we all simply want to be happy? Over a lifetime, we suckle, crawl, walk, and then run, looking for happiness. We play and joke and study, graduate, love, marry, divorce, procreate, make, buy, sell, move, join, save, and rest. Each step in our lives, we hope, will bring greater happiness. We say to ourselves, I'll be happy when I have a new car or a car that runs. When I buy that sweater, paint this room, make new friends, make a friend, have sex, get a raise, get out of town, lose 20 pounds, gain five, find the right church, leave religion, look older, or feel younger. We also, in our search for happiness, shun, rage, lie, steal, gossip, overindulge, smoke, get high, get drunk, sleep, slap, hit, manipulate, because in that moment we think our actions will fix a problem, a hurt, and ultimately make us happier. I don't believe we're entirely selfish. We don't want happiness only for ourselves, but for everyone. How often have parents said, I just want my children to be happy. We work to help others who are struggling to survive. That humanitarian effort both makes us happy while helping others experience their own happiness. We work hard at being happy. It's an ever-present motivator. It's an ongoing goal of our lives. The Buddha distilled life into the elimination of dukkha, or suffering, to reveal our innate, deep, abiding happiness. And I don't think happiness is a shallow goal. It can be fleeting, and we often seek happiness in harmful, ill-informed ways. But these traits don't make happiness trivial. So we're talking about happiness today because it's a dance partner with gratitude. Some say gratitude leads happiness. Others say happiness leads gratitude. Gratitude is our spiritual theme for November, and so during the month we'll explore its different facets in worship and song, in religious education, in prayer, in meditation, in the Touchstone email newsletter you can get, at Thanksgiving dinner tables, and simply in passing. For as long as anyone can remember, the text of history and literature and religion and philosophy have stressed the connections between happiness and gratitude. Recently, scientists from many disciplines are researching happiness and gratitude in the growing field of positive psychology, the psychology of what makes life worth living, 
many in the field claim that happiness can be significantly enhanced. For example, research psychologist Martin Seligman studied a group of severely depressed people. Their depression scores place them in the most extremely depressed category, many unable to get up out of their beds. They were asked to log on to a website once a day to recall and write down, type in, three things that went well today and why they went well. Nothing major. Responses were in the range of, I spoke to a friend I'd not heard from in months. I ate a great cookie. I saw the full moon. I made it to group therapy and actually spoke. Within 15 days, their depression scores moved from severely depressed to mildly depressed. 94% experienced some relief. Now, this research finding in today's discussion about happiness, I'm not naively claiming to solve the scourge of depression. Rather, they point to the value of our agency and our free will. There are actions we can take to increase our happiness. And the scientists are exploring if changes in happiness are short-lived or if they can be made long-term. Indeed, happiness is not found, but created. According to Sonia Lubomirsky, another respected research psychologist, much of our happiness is predetermined. She says half, half of our happiness levels come from a genetically determined set point. We cannot completely fix our sunny or sulky dispositions. But that's only 50% of our happiness equation. That leaves another whole 50% we can work with to increase our happiness. Very surprisingly, Lubomirsky's research shows only a very small part of what we can change is influenced by circumstances. A measly 10% of our whole happiness level over time is affected by wealth or lack of or health or beauty or relationship status. And these findings seem counterintuitive. This paltry 10% is where we tend to put much of our energy and time into trying to make ourselves happy. Remember that earlier litany? I'll be happy when I have a new car, or a car that runs, or buy that sweater, paint this room, have sex, get a raise, lose 20 pounds, find the right church. All these longings will not change your happiness level significantly or for long. What can change, what we can work with, is the remaining 40%. Not a small piece. A considerable part can be redefined and reshaped with intentional activities. We have the ability to be significantly happier 
with thoughtful, careful scrutiny of our behaviors. This flexible 40% is where positive psychology is now putting much of its research efforts. By systematically observing, comparing, and experimenting with very happy and very unhappy people, psychologists have created a list of thinking and behavior patterns we can mimic and adopt. There are many happiness increasing strategies that bump up and maintain our happiness level over and above our predetermined 50% sunny or sulky set point. One of the fundamental strategies proven to help achieve happiness is expressing gratitude. So let's agree on a formal definition of gratitude. Gratitude is a felt sense of wonder, thankfulness, and appreciation for life. It's saying thank you. It is saying thank you and so much more. People who are consistently grateful, research shows, are happier, more energetic, and more hopeful. In addition, they tend to be more helpful and empathic, more spiritual and religious. People who are grateful are more forgiving and less materialistic than others. The more a person is inclined toward gratitude, the less likely he or she is to be depressed, anxious, lonely, envious, or neurotic. Where's Ken Jones? I'm going to need your help, Ken Jones. Right here and now, we're going to duplicate one of the simple gratitude experiments. It's a variation of one I mentioned earlier. We have index cards and pens for writing if you need them. If you'll help pass those out. I have mine. So on one side of the card, I want you to list three things you're grateful for this week. They don't have to be monumental things. And you will not need to share this with anyone. This exercise is only for you. Trust your instincts. Write down what first comes to mind. Let yourself be surprised. So let me repeat the writing prompt. This week, I am grateful for these three things. I'll give you a moment.
So I wouldn't ask you to do anything I haven't done. Off and on, I've kept a a gratitude journal. But more recently, I was getting calls from our daughter, Alice, who was a freshman in college. She was struggling with classes and adjusting to life on campus. She happens to be here and gave me permission to tell this story to you today. (laughs) If she could only sink a little lower into her seat. So I had been reading Sonia Lubomirsky's book, The How of Happiness. And during a call, after Alice had had a vexing day where nothing was going well and everything in her life was up for question, on an impulse, I suggested we try ending our calls by telling each other three things we were grateful for that day. We tried it. We've done it a few times since. This first time, though, Alice was quiet, trying to think of something for which she was grateful. Although once she got started, she had a list longer than three. And looking back, she says now she realizes her whole day was not dreadful, just one small part of it. She generalized the bad part and let it color her perception of the day. I like our little experiment too. Not only does it help me remember what I gratefully have, but it also serves as a list of things to share with Alice about home while we're apart. The French have a great proverb about gratitude. They call gratitude the memory of the heart. Research shows that if you record your memory of the heart, your gratitude, once a week, and not every day, it is more effective. So I would call this work that we're doing now Gratitude 101. Listing our gratitude is fairly, a fairly obvious but extremely effective practice. It reliably increases happiness and all the positive attributes that go with it. To keep ourselves going as a church, thinking about gratitude, we'll put up a large poster in Fellowship Hall. So over the course of the month, when you feel inspired, you can express your gratitude, gratitude that you're willing to share publicly. And there are many other ways to express your gratitude, a phone call, a letter, an email, a tweet, a poem, a prayer, and the basic thank you. And I'm very grateful to live in this modern age where we have terrific gratitude apps. you got to look for them. (laughs) They are fabulous. So now let's move from Gratitude 101 to postdoctoral level work in gratitude. And we're going to need a master teacher for this advanced work, so we turn back to ancient wisdom and Buddhist instruction. When the Dalai Lama says, one's enemy is the best teacher, he's drawing on those ancient traditions and talking about advanced spiritual work. Another way to say one's enemy is the best teacher is 
be grateful to everyone. Yes, everyone. Gratitude 101 is being grateful to everyone we like, everyone who is nice to us, agrees with us, loves us, helps us. Our postdoctoral gratitude assignment is to become grateful for everyone else. We are asked to see how we can be grateful to the persons who annoy us, are obnoxious, are threatening, and have harmed us. Even those we despise or cannot imagine forgiving or accepting. We are to be grateful for them. Can you picture how this reframes the whole world? So now, return to your index card and turn it over. Again, I'm not asking you to do anything I haven't done. This time I want you to write three people who annoy or bother you. Maybe you avoid them or prefer gossiping about them. We won't jump to the hardest people in our lives at the first. With practice, we can build up to the truly loathsome people. But for now, on this Sunday morning, just list three people who upset your life. You could also list three situations that upset your life or disrupt your joy. And I'll give you time. Write down three people or situations that bother you. Everyone have that? In a minute, with the second list, we're going to look back over it and name one thing this annoying person or situation has taught you. Be grateful to everyone means that all situations can teach us, and often it's the tough ones that teach us the most. Frequently, these teachers are close by. Your mother, your husband, your wife, your lover, your child, your coworker, your fellow congregant, the people you cannot escape. For example, from some of my teachers, I've learned how complaining is disempowering. I've learned how selfish being late is from other teachers. And I've learned the value of clear, loving communication. I'm grateful for these lessons, even though I have to relearn them regularly. So now I will give you time to write one thing this annoying person or situation, yet precious teacher, has given you. Just one for each of the three. How'd that go? Let me tell you what Buddhist nun Pema Chodron describes about this advanced project in gratitude. When you come up with one word about each of the troublemakers in our lives, we find ourselves with a list of descriptions of our own rejected qualities, which we project onto the outside world. The people who repel us unwittingly 
show the aspects of ourselves that we can find unacceptable, which otherwise we can't see. They show us emotional baggage that we haven't worked out. They mirror us and give us the chance to befriend all that ancient stuff that we carry around like a backpack full of boulders. So if you look back over your list of three, can you find yourself in the traits that others have taught you? I know I complain as a way to avoid work or to shift blame onto someone else. When I complain, I'm seldom looking for solutions. As for my second trait, I've begun saying I love you and telling other people how much I appreciate them when I realized how much I wanted to hear those affirmations myself. As for being late, (laughs) I was late for class today. I still have a long way to go to really change my behavior. No doubt a few more teachers are going to come my way. So making these different lists creates profound memory banks of our hearts. They are life changers guaranteed to increase our long-term happiness. They cultivate an attitude of gratefulness. They reframe our problems and troubles, and they serve as a mirror for our own weaknesses and foibles. So as we all go out, on Gratitude 101 and graduate-level gratitude studies this month. May we increase happiness everywhere. May it be so.